join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store Nightmares. Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the undead films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a 1994 shot on video pseudo zombie flick, Shatter Dead, by director Scooter McRae. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, as of this broadcast, you cannot find 1994 Shattered Dead anywhere on streaming, and you should just expect that to never change. The DVD Blu-ray runs between $20 and $30, or you can shell out a cool $200 for a VHS copy. You know what's really weird, Luke? You can actually find this on Best Buy's website, like the VHS. Obviously, it's unavailable, but the fact that there is a webpage listing for it is crazy. Can you imagine finding a film like this in any medium at a Best Buy? I mean, on the one hand, it's it's hard to imagine. But then at the same time, I I remember in the late 90s when there was sort of a resurgence in horror VHS by like Anchor Bay and companies. And, you know, they came in the collectible clamshell things. And that's how I discovered like Lucio Fulci movies and the Evil Dead and the Dawn of the Dead. You know, there's that one with the holographic cover like that. I bought those in FYE is where I would always go to get them. So they're they're. It, you, they're always, it always has been the case that you could find like bizarre horror things in these stores. It just, but it's always weird to me. I feel like I should have gotten this off the bottom shelf at the porn store. You know, if you had told me that there was hardcore pornography in this film, I wouldn't even have bothered to try to look for it on streaming at all. Uh, I, well, so this, this film was released in two versions. Um, the, I think it was only in the UK, but when it was initially put out on VHS, it was cut. And that scene was cut, the penetration scene. The only VHS release from that early that I think was uncut was the Something Weird release, which is the one I have. Something Weird, the sort of underground pseudo bootleg company. Uh, Actually, that was tied up with Frank Henenlotter, who... Uh, the director Scooter McRae had worked with previously. So that's some odd uh, seven degrees there. Um, but anyway, this was put out on VHS by Tempe Video, which we talked about a couple weeks ago because it was founded by um, the director of Kingdom of the Vampire. It just all comes full circle, huh? It does. Yeah. All of these uh, shot on video, 80s, 90s movies, it's this incestuous web of creators who all have something to do with one another, which I actually think is really cool. 
can you imagine this like fancy luncheon for directors and then you have all of these big names at the round table and then in the corner of the room there's like a little like fisher price rainbow colored plastic table for like the shot on video guys <laughs> well yeah that's the kind of affection i have for them the kids table <laughs> so let me actually start by reading the back of this VHS box. And, and we can use that as an intro to discussing this one because there's a lot to talk about here. So it has this really awesome tagline, God hates you. And it says that across the top of the poster too. Um, and on the back, it says, when the beautiful angel of death has lesbian sex with a mortal woman whom she impregnates, the dead stop dying which makes things especially miserable for gun-toting Susan, who simply wants to get home to her boyfriend. But in a world now populated with the undying dead, most of whom are as intelligent and articulate as the living, going home means zombie massacres, showering with a pleading corpse, confronting the crackpot preacher man, and coping with her boyfriend's bathtub of blood. And what if the woman impregnated by the angel of death, why she delivers a premature little tot when a shotgun blast rips open her tummy, a gutsy, disturbing, very different horror film, beautifully shot on video, winner of the best independent film USA at the 1995 Fanta Festival in Rome. But because of a particular twisted sex scene, you must be 21 or older to order or view this film. And remember, God hates you. And that was written by Frank Henenlotter, who, of course, made Basket Case. <laughs> So, so there's your plot. So what did you think of the, the story of this movie? I did not have the luxury of the box. So there are a lot of things explained on the box that are not directly elaborated on in the film. You're, ne you're never really explained about what's going on with this angel figure in the opening scene. And you're not really sure whether it may be a dream or if it even happened or if it's even the cause of everything that's going on nobody comes out and just says hey you know angel of death came and uh now everybody is like literally came and and everybody now can't die like nobody <laughs> says that in the film whatsoever no so let's so let's get into the plot details in a little bit but i i just I think it's I had never seen a movie with this particular idea of like, like I've seen, you know, movies where the zombie plague is actually a virus or I've seen movies where the zombies are, you know, like George Romero and they're coming out of the ground because of radiation. But I've never seen one where you're basically like a vampire. You're just undead, unaging. So I'm not the biggest zombie movie aficionado, but um, I'd imagine about 95% of zombie films just make it a virus, right? Uh, one that comes off the top of my head is that it was actually demonic possession. I probably shouldn't say the movie because that's a big reveal for the end. So I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. 
but definitely have never seen a zombie movie with this kind of premise that actually takes a what like a biblical approach to it yeah and and it's i really i find it fascinating and there's a lot of ways i think we could interpret it but let's talk briefly about the people involved here so the director and writer scooter mccray he's only made a couple of a couple of other things and i have not seen them um he did a short called saint frankenstein and a feature called 16 tongues they look very interesting i i definitely want to see them but I haven't. So I guess he's just like a really low budget independent filmmaker. There's on the Blu-ray, there's um, interviews with him and he gives you a tour of his house, which is the inside of the apartment building in the movie is actually the director's house. And Stark Raven, who plays the main character, is there with him and she's fully nude just walking through the house, showing it to to him, showing it to us with him. It's, it's very odd. He seems like a very eccentric, but like genuine guy. So how did you come across this film? I, I first heard about it from Bleeding Skull or one of those horror review sites that, you know, talk about shot on video, artsy horror films. And as soon as I read the premise, I was like, I'm, I really want to see this. So I started to keep my eye out for the VHS and I got the something weird release on eBay. Um, And once I had seen that, I thought, all right, I really want to see the cleaned up version because Scooter McRae actually re-edited the film for the Blu-ray. So it's about 10 minutes shorter and it's not any content. Like I watched both versions this week. Um, it's just like tightening up the editing. So the movie flows better and like the sound fits over it better. And his, I think the reaction shots are a little better. And it's also amazingly cleaned up. Like the Blu-ray almost doesn't look like it was shot on video because it's just so cinematic in the way that it's been you know, visually redone. So I, if you like this film, I definitely recommend getting the Blu-ray. It's pretty inexpensive. I think this is the first VHS I ever watched that had like a TV branding logo in the bottom right corner the entire time. Ah, uh, yeah, that's something weird. They do that on all their VHSs? I don't know about all of them, but most of them. And I think the reason is that they were putting out movies that were in the public domain or had never been licensed or were had never been released in the U.S. before. So in a lot of cases, I think they had the only available print of the film. So when they put it out on VHS, they didn't necessarily have the copywriting power of a major studio. Um, I imagine that that the watermark was their way of protecting their copyright to the material strange yeah but you know this entire film is fucking weird so (laughs) that's such a good descriptor like have you ever what would you compare this movie to can you think of anything this has less in common with a zombie film and more in common with say a like a film or a tv show about the rapture right um 
I think there have been a couple of things about a couple of stories about that sort of like setting where people just wake up and like the the nature of humanity has changed forever from some cosmic event that that will likely never be explained. I feel like it's more of one of those kinds of films. Yeah, I agree, but tonally the film is really unique. Like it's a very dark and somber film. It's I I think it's similar in tone to if if you're fans of this movie you probably know uh Leif Yonker's Darkness. It's similar in tone to that. Just very self-serious and artsy but dark and somber and and yet it's about zombies. So it's a, it's just very odd and unique. I I've never seen any movie like it. All right, so with that let's play the trailer and then we'll start talking about the story. You're going to live your life without a home, without a job, and you're going to grow old and decrepit and die. Except you won't die because nobody dies anymore. And you're going to spend the rest of eternity wandering the face of the earth in that pathetic state, just wishing you could lay down and rest like people did in the good old days. But you can't. Not anymore. Look at that tree. That tree is the end. That's how clear it is to me. The end. Does that scare you? Prepare to be physically challenged! Jesus, you're good. Good. Jesus was the best. It's not the brain, but the soul. How do you kill the soul? I don't mean to scare you, but I'm going to be scared. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. I'm sorry to hear about that. Life's not fair. Neither is death. What's your name, lady? Susan. There you see. No scars to hide. Only shame. That one scene where you got to hear who is eventually um, this guy uh, introduced as like a zombie pope. He isn't he's never named, right? No, the credits are he's credited as the preacher man. Yeah, zombie pope. So zombie pope here is delivering a sermon around the fire to zombies. And he says, look at this tree. At no point does the movie ever show you a tree. (laughs) he gestures to it that was your primary takeaway like where's my tree yeah oh and i guess the second takeaway was you know there's a guy that's lit completely on fire and he goes oh geez (laughs) (laughs) i so i will say there are comical moments in this movie but Overall, I find this movie really somber and I like like I like zombie movies. I love the Romero movies. I love the comical ones like Raimi movies and the and Dead Alive. But I've never taken zombies seriously like they've never scared me. But the notion of a zombie in this movie, I find terrifying. The idea that 
like no matter what happened to you, you'd just be gradually mutilated and like torn apart and in pain, like constant pain. And there would be no rest or no escape from it because you would continue to be fully conscious. Like that that's horrifying to me. Did it strike you that way? It, it's like existential dread made forever. Yeah, it's when I went into this movie, I thought it was going to be like really goofy and fun. Instead, <laughs> oh, oh, bodied. Instead, this is this is one of the more profound ideas I've ever seen in a horror film. Is just this demonstration of existential dread that's a fantastic like way to describe it and it actually succeeds for me in being a horror film and that i find the concept and the idea horrifying i have a hard time thinking of this as a zombie film but i can't think of another term to call it because if you're gonna look at this as a zombie movie it throws almost every single trope out the window because they can't die. No matter what form they are in, they do not die because this isn't a virus or a parasite. There's no science behind this. It's just your soul is trapped in this husk and it will never leave. There is a scene later on in the film where a character claims they received a phone call from their dead mother, but the mother was cremated. Yeah. It's That's never of... really explained, but you know, this isn't really a movie where you're looking for explanations. No, it's very poetic actually. Well, um, no here. Okay. So, you know, talking about new ways to look at, you know, the dead coming back to life. Um, shitty people in your in your life from your past coming back and um you know calling you out of the blue that's a that's a fucking nightmare yeah what i was gonna say is it kind of makes literal the that romero tagline for dawn of the dead which was when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth only in the Romero films, when you chop up the zombie or shoot it in the head or burn it alive, it, it's gone. In this movie, there's literally no more room in hell. There's no cosmic notion of death. So you just remain and your consciousness remains. And that's, that's terrifying. I've seen a lot of artsy zombie films. Oh indie foreign zombie zombie films and i'm really surprised that i have not yet seen in any maybe there is somewhere out there just because there's just so much zombie material out there like some kind of doomsday cult which protects or reveres or like you know supports zombification as some sort of act of god to like punish sin or something like that i'm really surprised i haven't seen anything like that in the zombie film this has the closest thing i've ever like imagined to that kind of concept yeah so th this is probably going to be a longer episode because there's just too much i want to talk about with this film but let's do a let's do a vague walkthrough 
Um, and I then like talk every time we say vague, it just, it just turns into a regular walkthrough. I don't think there's any way to avoid it. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. There's not that much plot in this movie to talk about. But we start out with this sex scene between two women. And we know from the back of the box and from the trailer that one is supposed to be the angel of death. She has these big wings that spread out behind her. But in the movie, we're not told that. We're just seeing this angel fucking this other woman, like doggy style in front of the camera. So what did you think of this beginning? There are a lot of interpretations of angels' genitals in, in a few movies that I can think of. Um, but is there one where angels are specifically like hermaphrodites? Not that I know of. Yeah, but I couldn't think of one either. I, I'm not, my PhD is not in angelology <laughs> or whatever the phrase is, the, the study of <laughs> angels. So I, uh, it, you know, this is a great, set piece to, to start the film this is the, the the tone that sets the rest of the next hour of your life if you're watching this film and if you don't know the premise you have no idea what's going on here none maybe that makes it better i can tell you that i at no point really linked this scene to the fact that people just stopped dying yeah i i wonder if the director wanted to keep that ambivalent but the whoever released it first was like no we have to describe this uh, no scooter <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if i could go by scooter for that reason scoot that's worse you say it like scoot anyway i don't know if he wanted it to you know remain abstract or not but the next scene is actually really funny to me there's there are main characters driving down the road and there's people on the side of the road, zombies who are begging. And, and one of them is saying he has a sign that says dead sold arm. What's next? And another guy says that he took a job as a crash test dummy so that he could feed the family, but now he's too ugly to go home. And that's like, profoundly horrible but it's also really funny to me after the angel scene i think there's a, a card that pops up that says 14 months later yeah so do are we led to believe here that we're in like month 14 of the never dieocalypse i i think so yeah because this doesn't seem like a day zero sort of thing Billy no. has been around for some time right so we got the dead almost as a, as a class. Like, I thought this film was going to be maybe more political at first. Yeah, fuck me. Um, where it was going to maybe illustrate the dead as, like, second or third class citizens that were going to be, like, struggling for rights or something along those lines. Now, yeah, spoiler, the movie doesn't get anything in, into that outside of a short radio interview blurb that talks about... Um, unionization for the dead <laughs> there's <laughs> i think it's funny in the context of the movie but um i could imagine the in the world of this movie them getting to the place you're talking about it's just this movie takes place like in the it's too soon in the aftermath of this total breakdown in reality where there is no effective 
like governance or anything anymore. At least that's the way it strikes me in the movie. It's never really elaborated, but sure, nobody can die, but can people be born? Because if there is a complete stopgap on like the the creation or production of souls, it, there's not really going to be much of a society in which a union would be useful because everyone's eventually going to deteriorate into a non-functioning lump of flesh and everyone's just going to be lying around decaying until uh, the eventual heat death of the universe. No, it seems like in the movie, you kind of stay forever young. Like you don't, you don't deteriorate. You just live. Yeah. Well, no, remember uh, there's a woman that's later revealed to be undead who specifically says she has to constantly keep moving in order to keep the blood flowing, to keep back the, the tide of decay. Yeah, but she also said that she'd have her youthful face forever. Well, she didn't even get to hold on to it for like 15 minutes after saying that. No, and that's why like most of the characters in this movie who become undead willingly, it's suggested they do it for vanity, that they want to look young forever. And it seems like what ruins that fantasy is not like aging, it's injury, that they're like in one case her face is like burned right and in another a guy is pushed off a balcony and like all his bones are broken so it, it's like those injuries apparently don't repair themselves but you also don't age it still seems like it's uh, really short-sighted to rush into death maybe it's because they don't quite understand the consequences of going through with it I'm, I must admit that in the world of this movie, I would be very tempted. It, this world is so lethal that I feel like you will eventually just die regardless of how you feel about it. So you might as well just enjoy the life that you have before you have to start performing, you know, undead maintenance on yourself. See, the way I look at it is if I'm going to die anyway then I want to die on my own terms. Like, I don't want to be shot in the face, right? I want to die on in some quiet, safe, peaceful way. And um, I want to die while I'm young so that I can keep my youthful appearance. That's how I would look at it. Sure, but it feels, or at least within the realm of this movie, it feels like violent trauma is unavoidable and it's going to happen to you regardless of whether or not you decide to end things on your own terms. It feels like a lost cause to try to hold on to your uh, quote-unquote uh, youth by prematurely enabling this state of undeath. And we have to consider that the, the one woman or girl who decides to end her life early, to enter into this um, state of being, turns around at some point, And you see that despite her best efforts, she still has blood and bodily fluids pooling at the, at the base of her body, like through her buttocks and further down. And that is with someone who is regularly 
trying to maintain her appearance and her health. Well, is whatever classifies as health once you're, you know, post Dead. death. Yeah. I feel like it's it's something that people think about, but not too far ahead, and they just don't think about how bad it can get. Either there, way, it's an un, it's an inescapable fate. It's completely unavoidable in this world, and that is the most horrifying thing about it. There's a moment during this scene we're talking about where we hear a, an interview on the radio, and there's this wonderful line where the woman is asked a question, like a scientific question, and she says, I'm not even sure what science means anymore. Like, that's so profound in the in the world of this movie. It's like the the dimension of time has stopped, right? So like no death or birth can come. Well, we assume no birth. Uh, I mean, I think it's a safe assumption. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the despair, right? Like you can't even have the the hope of new life. The uh, in the interview, they say that people that zombies tend to congregate where they're where they know they're wanted, which is in a graveyard. So I thought that that was really interesting, like a good description for why or an explanation for why zombies go to graveyards. I don't think it was specifically just graveyards. I think it was wherever they also were accepted when they were living. So you have a bunch of these people begging on the street. Well, zombies begging on the street because that was where they lived. They just might not be able to afford where they live anymore. Right. But then again, you know, we get the case of the crash test zombie who comes out and says he has to, you know, get money for his family, assuming he's telling the truth. Is he a zombie, like, taking care of his still-living, you know, wife and child? Yeah. That's why he was able to be a crash test dummy. And this sort of um, insinuates that corporations are taking advantage of the situation and, you know, <laughs> ways that can probably just maximize profit. Although I'm not sure exactly how you advertise automobile safety in a world like this. Like, why does it even matter? Yeah. Although I suppose there's probably some pretty deep social commentary here about how, you know, the, the very nature of human existence is being unraveled and you still have companies trying to push products. I actually think this this is saying a lot of things. Um, and I'm going to get to some of my interpretations later, but um, let's keep going through some of the story. So uh, the zombies are like attacking Susan's car because they want the car. Like they don't want to hurt her. And they're being led by the preacher guy, the um, zombie pope, as you called him. And he's saying, like, she'll join us later, but by choice. He says, that's our strength. What do you think of the dynamic between this guy and his zombie followers? It makes sense that there is going to be some fucked up evangelical type that take advantage of this situation. Whether or not some divine power is actually speaking to him is never revealed but i don't know i've just assumed he's full of shit well it is revealed that he himself is still alive 
he's leading this movement of you know for dying but he remains alive so there's hypocrisy there it's it's very interesting but there's some hijinks where they take susan's car and she gets another car but the gas is stolen from it so susan is walking down the street she's accosted by zombie uh beggars while trying to make a <laughs> get a sign of the times a phone call from a coin phone to presumably i guess her boyfriend that we have no idea exists at this point one i think it was the armless uh, beggar comes out and starts siphoning gasoline from her gas tank she chases him with a rifle cornering him in a park and instead of just shooting him shoots the gas tank which then explodes and incinerates the guy um they actually have a stunt actor they set on fire to roll around in the grass i thought that was impressive but now she's left with a car that has little to no gas left so she starts driving home but there is apparently a bigger plot here where the guy with no with the missing arm was part of the zombies in the woods that serve to carjack people they siphon gas from cars in the city and when they try to leave the city through i'm assuming like one or two major roads they have a bunch of people ready to come out and steal the car i don't know what they're doing with these vehicles what do zombies need cars for but they're collecting them well there is a at some point i think we hear on tv that there's no private property anymore or someone yells no private property and i i kind of saw it as like it was the repossession of material goods under the the under zombie control it was almost like a proletariat revolt of the dead right that's how i thought of it and so they're like they're they're basically nationalizing property but doesn't uh, communism have like a distinction between like private and personal property yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider the filmmakers here like, <laughs> you know, adept Marxists. Um, yeah. I think they've just got a general idea going. Right, right. But they leave her alone. They they carjack her, and then she's just left to walk on the side of the road until she comes across uh, some guy looking to pick up a hitchhiker. She initially thinks he's alive, but she's suspicious. And she has this cool little trick that she does with a mirror where she holds it under the nostrils to see if, I guess, like oxygen is or, you know, um, moisture is accumulating on the glass. This seems really dangerous to get this close to somebody who's like a suspected zombie. Like, even if you have a firearm, you don't really want to be this close to someone that can get aggressive, like in an instant. But they don't but stylistically. See it's cool as fuck. They don't seem to eat people or anything. No, but they're clearly carjacking people and siphoning your gasoline. It's almost right. like a criminal class of people. I mean, at this point of the film, you're yeah. led to believe that they are just out to steal your shit. Well, she is she is made to stay in this like halfway house sort of situation where people who are alive are sequestering away from the dead. And she is put in a room with another girl named Mary, I think. Yes. And 
she wants to Susan wants to go take a shower and Mary is excited that she has soap because she really wants to wash herself. And so she begs to shower with her. You know, when this scene was happening, I was initially thinking like, this is one of those stupid porn setups, right? Like (laughs) this, this is a bad movie trope where they're just getting an excuse to expose to women. But in this case, it actually ends up being meaningful to the story. So as, as uh, Susan is undressing, you see that she is like strapped to the nines. She's got like pistol holsters and like concealed like weapons all over her that she has to like work around as she gets ready to take a shower. And even once she gets in the shower, she doesn't take everything off. She still has her gun and a holster ready to go. That's just how distrustful everybody be in this world. But like for good reason. No, I found her to be a fairly like badass character, but in a, in a you know, somber, realistic way. What do you think of her performance? Well, I think what really helps here um, is that she doesn't look like your like standard issue actress, right? Like she looks like a real believable person. And that really, I mean, that and the whole shot on video narrative really push this, um, this, this visual to a really effective level. It makes it easier to get lost into this, this universe that, that Scooter has created for us. Even if there are a lot of details that make it, uh, kind of fall apart at the seams, you just don't really care at that point. I think she does a, a marvelous job of balancing like fear with determination, but exhaustion where we can see like she's just tired of fighting um, and she's probably tired because she hasn't had sleep. And like if you look at reviews online, people do not praise this movie like it is not beloved um, and her acting in particular is scorned with people saying how terrible she is. No, I think she, <laughs> I think she's fantastic. Well, I, I, okay. So imagine, you know, you've, you've been grown and raised on regular ass theatrical films your whole life. And then you see this, you're not, you're not going to be ready. Like you can't <laughs> just, you can't just walk into this film after like a lifetime of Marvel and star Wars and like Academy Award nominated films or whatever, it, you know, it don't work like that. There's a lot of people who probably put this on their worst films of all time list just because they weren't ready for what they were about to go into. They didn't have the right mindset. And I think that's probably the biggest glaring weakness of shot on film in general. But then when you add this extra layer of art house zombie despair, you know, that's, it's like extra strength. You got to be ready for this shit. Yeah, I can see that. But within the world of shot on video movies, I think that this is one of the best performances. Um, Yeah, she does great. And I don't know if they actually forced her to stay up for like 24 hours to make her look tired, but they did a good job. 
oh, she did a good job. Yeah, she legitimately looks exhausted. So she she reservedly lets this other girl shower with her and we get, you know, a little bit of them naked together in the shower. Did you think this was gratuitous or do you think it actually, you know, added to the story? This is a movie that opens up with like some double D strapped angel girl going reverse like style on another woman. I mean, I'm think that's probably a little bit of both here. I think he's trying to have it both ways. He's being fucking weird and exploitive at the same time. Okay, that's fair. But I do think that it shows that in this world, everybody, whether you're dead or alive or you're, you've accepted this or you're struggling against it, like people still have the same basic desires. Like they want to get clean. They want to use soap. Like they want these things that remind them of being a person, of being normal. So I found this really poetic almost in, in how meaningful it would be in the context of this film. Nothing really makes the apocalypse feel more real than seeing someone get overjoyed from the sight of soap. <laughs> hey, I like soap a lot. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world without it, um, especially not if my body stinks because I'm dead. So then we get the big reveal. She's turning around while washing herself, and we see that she has like the kind of pattern bruising that you would see on someone who has been dead and resting in one place for a long period of time. Um, not to get too macabre here, but normally if someone dies laying in one place, all of their fluids tend to gravitate towards the lowest part of the body. And that's pretty much what her buttocks and the top of her legs look like. Almost as if she spent a lot of time sitting down. Um, you know, most people don't die sitting down. So it's kind of, I don't know if this was intentional, but I thought it was um, like a good detail to, to show that she's dead, but she's moving, but she's spending a lot of time sitting. And so that's where everything is pooling in that part of her body. Yeah, she she sits, she plays the piano, right? Yeah, she plays the piano to pass the time. Yeah, but she has this whole speech kind of trying to sell Susan on being dead. She says, I'm beautiful. And I will be forever and young and healthy and strong. She says, I'm no burden on society. I don't use or waste anything. And then she adds that the process of dying was a giddy, exhilarating experience to have all of these poisons in my body with no way out. What did you think of all of her uh, reasoning before we get into that, I just want to add that this is also the scene that first humanizes the undead. Because yeah. until now, we just have a bunch of stealing gangs roaming the streets, fending for themselves. This is someone who actually says, hey, you know, we're not necessarily mindless. You, you know, you just got to keep take care of yourself. And I wanted this. And here's why. I've... And I'm sure you have to have read testimonies of people who have tried to commit suicide and failed for one reason or the other. And so they talk about how as soon as they start to do it, they have regrets 
and they're like oh shit i wish i did not start this in the first place and then it just doesn't work and they're like wow well i'm glad i got that out of my system in a way like they, they're glad it didn't work this kind of flies in the face of all that so um as far as believability it, it's kind of not not hitting it for me but maybe you could say that in this world where you know death is more of a transition than a finality that that could provoke a sense of like excitement to what is to come like this uncertainty like an adrenaline junkie almost yeah i can definitely see that i mean i don't think i would feel that way but i think i can i think i get it I mean, I see where she's coming from, but I do not agree with any of these people hastening their their journey into being undead. Just because it's eventually going to happen to you, you might as well just enjoy your living while you can. Yeah, I really don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, back to the film, there's this very weird scene here where Mary starts to play the piano and there is a guy in the hallway spying on her and masturbating. Yeah, man. Girls on piano. It's hot. Why do you think this scene's in the movie? We glossed over this character because he's pretty minor. He kind of like sexually harasses Susan when she first gets into the house and she just totally shuts him down like the badass she is. And so I guess he's just trying to get his rocks off in a world where... Um, where everything is just falling to ruin. One thing it shows is that he is still alive. He's not a zombie because if he was, he wouldn't be able to get erect. Yep. I think this is also a setup for a shock scene that is coming uh, in a, like less than five minutes. So first off, Susan has this uh, bizarre dream quest where she is traversing through a graveyard they use a bunch of special effects to make it trippy the angel shows up flashes her tits his tits who knows and while this is going on a bunch of men start a home invasion and they i don't know man they look like they're straight out of a kid rock concert right <laughs> like crossed with uh saturday night fever yeah <laughs> there's two gunmen and one um we're gonna say mc who just starts shouting reading off a charter talking about how he's with the group that says that the living are an affront to god's will that you know everybody needs to be a part of this um this like zombie revolution that's going on and one of these guys that walks in, one of the gunmen, is clearly dead, but he has, like, this neck brace to, like, keep his head supported so he can actually be, like, an efficient gunman. And he just go through this house and start popping shots off, killing everybody. It's a little unbelievable that, like, they managed to get through the whole house without uh, alerting anybody because they're just firing shots off in this house and no one seems to be worried and they're all getting picked off one after the other. Um the guy who is peep, uh, peeping through the hole of the keyhole while masturbating is shot through the head and killed um, because I guess he's just too distract. I mean, no one would ever be this distracted, but I guess he was just too distracted to hear what was going on. And it actually, the blood splurt goes through the door and blinds Susan when she is on the other side trying to figure out what's going on. She actually wakes up 
in the middle of the gunshots and with her survival, like sense of survival, actually just immediately kills Mary with a handgun she had. Like completely accidental. And by kill, I mean um, about as, as close to death as you can get in this film, which is disabled. During the, during the dream, one thing that you didn't mention is that she is flating a gun. Like, oh, yes. Performing oral sex on a gun. What right. <laughs> did you did you think this was significant? No, it, I think most of this movie is fine. Most of this movie is definitely something to stop provoking. But I feel like the gun fellatio and a scene that happens later on could have been completely omitted. I think Scooter here was feeling himself way too hard. And this probably should have just been a part of another movie. I don't, I really do find it meaningful. And I think it really adds to the film a lot. I think that there's a lot of ways that you could read it, but the fact that there is all those possible meanings makes it feel weighty, sort of. But for example, it could be saying something about the servicing of tools of death. Where in like a world that death doesn't exist, then what would be the function of like guns? Would if if that is if the gun is the process by which you die, is that kind of like entering new life, like reproduction? It's it's all wrapped up in these possible meanings that I, I think are significant. I mean, when when I didn't really try to read into it that much, but she doesn't really give any 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 indication throughout the entire movie that she wants to die, that she wants to transition to this world of undeath. And I don't know, maybe you can say that this dream is some sort of like subconscious manifestation of her flirting with the idea of suicide so that she can go in. But that's a stretch. I mean, we're. We're jumping ahead, but when she ultimately is vaginally penetrated by the gun, that is also the transition for her to death. Like, it doesn't shoot her, but she dies during that scene. I thought she died afterwards. Yeah, but it's it. my point is that if you follow this interpretation, then her having sex with the gun was her transition from being alive to dead. Figuratively, not literally. Right. Right. I don't know how I feel about all that, but I'm willing to accept the rest of this film. And that's it's enough. just, it's all there. All it's right. All I think, and all I think there. it's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> but but the I like that the one disco guy, when he burst into the uh, apartment, he says, prepare to be physically challenged. <laughs> And I don't know why that's funny or why the the humor fits in the film. Like, while you're watching this, a lot of this is really somber and sad. But when you think back over how absurd a lot of it is, it's really funny to me. I don't think it was the disco guy that uh, that said that, but <laughs> it, it is a very powerful delivery. But then you have this really profound line, like when Susan shoots Mary, she's like apologizing. And Mary says, what am I going to do? This is the beginning of forever. Like that is, 
it's so profoundly disturbing to me. I, I keep reiterating this, but I can't communicate it enough. But then we have like this badass line where at the next moment, she's kind of lunging at, at Susan and Susan says, don't fuck with me, dead bitch. <laughs> and shoots her some more. Did you expect her to marry to die? Or to not die, but, you know, become um, a more disfigured death. <laughs> uh, incapacitated. Not like this. I also didn't quite know where this movie was going, but I, I didn't quite expect a bunch of gunmen to just start picking people off. I also didn't expect the peeping Tom's head to, like, pop like a gusher through the fucking door. Blind <laughs> Susan. <laughs> yeah there is, is it in the same scene where we see the pregnant girl get shot yes so the gunmen feel that they have gotten everybody in the house but as they start to leave the hostess of the halfway house who is a pregnant the pre a pregnant woman the woman that we see getting um pounded by the angel in the first scene um, starts to come down the stairs asking what's going on, which is exactly how anybody would act when they hear, you know, 20 to 30 gunshots. <laughs> so just suspend that disbelief for a moment. And then the disco guy's like, oh, I'll take care of this. Takes a shotgun and shoots her right through the, through the, through the back and out through the stomach where um, she then starts to cradle what's coming out as she stumbles into the bathroom because both will live and that's horrifying that this not fully developed fetus will live on as a conscious being probably in perpetual pain susan comes out of hiding once the gunmen are gone and is the witness to everything that's happening in the bathroom this um you know, mother in the shower holding this completely unbelievable looking fetus, but you're, you're here for the subject matter, not the special effects. And she is clearly alive and not dying. And the thing that she is holding is clearly not going to die. But keep in mind that this, this, this she's been pregnant for like 14 months. Yeah. Right? Because, because nothing, nothing develops. Right. There is no well, it developed to a point and then it stopped. Yeah. So like what if her situation's not unique? What if this is what happens to everyone who's getting pregnant? Or you just get to this one phase and then it stops. My assumption was that she she was pregnant when this cataclysmic event happened, and that since it happened, no new pregnancies are possible. Okay, but She's definitely never delivering because it's been 14 months by now. Right, because it doesn't age. It's just frozen at the stage of development it was when the event happened. This is a scene that could have very easily just slid into exploitation. But because of the bizarre nature of this nightmare world, it just comes off as like just one more glimpse into this so like one of the horrible consequences that can happen when death is non-existent. Yeah, I actually find it really thoughtful. Like 
I, I'm glad you put it that way because it could be exploitive. If I had just read it in a synopsis, I would say that, yeah, this movie's going to be schlocky trash. Compare, but- yeah, compare this to the remake of Dawn of the Dead where a pregnant woman gets zombified and the baby zombie claws its way out of her stomach and goes, before <laughs> getting killed. <laughs> well after this scene she confronts the preacher because she wants her car back and she even shoots him in the hand but someone grabs her and holds her in place and she has to listen to the preacher talk with her and he says welcome to the last days of the old generation cunt this is the beginning of the redemption. What in the past was so special that you feel the need to hang on so tightly to? Awaken and join us. I have more important work to do, many more souls to save. What did you think of this? This dude is swinging on like a children's swing set in a public park at like 8.30 and then has the gall to tell Susan that he is extremely busy doing important stuff. <laughs> yeah, all right, sure guy. I mean, he's a hypocrite through and through because while while uh this guy is like sermonizing to her on by gunpoint, um we see, actually see the zombie running to the scene <laughs> from like I don't know, like 20 yards out and we it's this it's the only zombie in the whole movie that looks like a graveyard zombie like it has the gray withered skin was probably buried at some point just like a dude in a suit and it's just like running it runs at susan so awkwardly and then grabs her (laughs) yeah but you know this guy if we're going to talk about weak points in the film i feel like we we probably could have had some better inspirational like theological dialogue here i don't think this guy really fit the bill I think the actor is fine. The delivery is fine. But there's something about like the dialogue itself that doesn't really strike me as you know, profound as it could be. The, the first time I watched the film, that's kind of how I felt. But then the second time I thought, maybe it's because he does. it's not like he has any theological depth. Everything he's saying is superficial. And he's just making it up as he goes along. So like, of course, it's going to be vague and, um, you know, it, basically meaningless, uh, you know, just jargon, because that's all he can throw out for his followers. Hey, when your congregation is just a bunch of dead people, you know, how, how high quality does your sermon need to be? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the soul might not rot, but the brain be. Well, Susan shoots him in the head. So, yeah, after a long chase scene through the woods, like you could have just shot this dude in the back like the entire time. Instead, they have a really sad chase through the woods. It's very shot on video esque. I kind of liked that chase, actually. I thought it was pretty well done. Eh, it's not, it's not important. It's not important to the grand scheme of the film. Yeah, so let's, can we jump to where she makes it home to boyfriend? Yeah, I think that's where we're at anyway. So what was your first impression of the boyfriend? He's lame. I don't get it. (laughs) She's such like a survival badass, and then she shows up to this house, and it's just like, sad boy. 
yeah, he basically seems like like maybe she just had low self-esteem and didn't think she could have anything better, but she's actually an independent badass. I mean, I'm not ragging on like sad boys here. I just don't understand this one sad boy. He has, we quickly realize, killed himself while she's been away. She literally just went out to get groceries and he couldn't like withstand like existence. <laughs> yeah. For, for like 24 hours. So he he killed himself for much the same reason as Mary. Like he wanted to remain young forever is the suggestion. He also goes into this tirade about dead relatives and people from his past calling to contact him and he wanted no part in it. This is where, you know, the cremated mother that he did not get along with allegedly called him over the phone and he just could not handle it. And he says, he starts describing what it's like now to be dead. And the, he says that getting his face to make an expression is like placing a long distance telephone call. I thought that analogy was very effective this is the same guy who said that it felt like his face was about like six inches in front of his head or something yeah he um he poisons her milk uh to you know hasten her into death with him but she doesn't, doesn't even ask her yeah she doesn't no. know what's going on yeah she doesn't realize it yet but she's she's drinking it but she's also trying to initiate sex but as he points out he has no moving blood, so he can't get an erection. And she has this like really devastated face, and she says, but I love you. And then she straps the gun on and uses it as a substitute. And to me, this was all about subjugating life to death, like at the point that pleasure does not come from what's alive it comes from the instrument of death it comes from you know weapons and violence i also find this scene strangely erotic to be honest yeah not me i don't know i have a lot of experience with firearms i don't think there's anything anything hot about this i also just i look like i realize it's the apocalypse it's hard to come by soap but i feel like you could get a proxy dildo through so many other means than the barrel of a gun I mean, that's why I think it's supposed to be meaningful symbolism. Well, it's got to be. It's got to have meaning because it's not practical. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting at it's, it's erotic in a masturbatory way. I'm saying that it's erotic in that it's not just like nudity on screen or it's not just showing us a sexual act. Like there is actually erotic depth to it, like meaning to it. I think it's a really sad scene and it's a really intense scene and it was cut out of some of the vhs releases of this film and i think that's actually really unfortunate because i i think it's an important part of the movie so i i take it you just you didn't think you thought the scene was unnecessary or did you think it was exploitive like yeah it felt like really out of place for me but maybe you know um i'm too Maybe I'm too like uh, simple to really find the meaning in strapping a 
firearm to somebody and using it as an improvised dildo as like a way of conveying some sort of deeper meaning of life and the human experience. I mean, the other possibility is that Scooter McRae had like seen Richard Kern's films in the 80s and there's lots of stuff there with like Lydia Lynch, you know, filleting guns and it, he could have just wanted to pay homage to it. Like it could be totally meaningless and he's just throwing a bone to his like forefathers. I, <laughs> you know, we, there, there's enough in this movie to digest without having to, to really fall back on, on a scene like this. It just doesn't seem necessary. Well, once she finds out that she's been poisoned, she pulls her gun on him. She's not happy. Uh, she feels, I think, understandably violated. Like, does he have any justification here? I think he just wanted to not be alone. Wanted her to be with him forever in, in that state. I don't think he really elaborates on it necessarily. He just yeah. makes the decision for her. Because now that he is dead, he feels like her objection to it is illogical because he's there he's like it's not that bad but of course he hasn't seen the true side effects yet of what happens after you turn and you are subjected to horrible traumatic violence which he is about to discover yeah because there was some struggle back and forth but eventually she shoots him and he falls backwards out of this window and lands like, you know, two stories down. And it, it seems like he's broken like every bone. Yeah, you know, he doesn't just fall out the window. He like shatters it with his entire body. Shattered dead, right? It's because he's the window. Yeah. He shattered it, the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so he is now a helpless heap on the city street where coincidentally zombie pope and the gang come up on him and they like splint his entire body just to help him stand and like have a frame to hang on and it inexplicably works yeah like but your impression is that even though he's not dying he can still feel all of this pain right Oh, yeah. He, death is not a tonic for like getting rid of misery and pain and sadness. Maybe that's part of what Scooter's trying to tell us here, is that we have a bunch of people that feel like death is some sort of cure-all, in, in this case, like a, a immortal state of youthfulness. But then everybody just has their hearts broken within like, 15 minutes of being introduced. I I know that some people think that this is a Christian film and they're interpret like the the tagline of the movie is God hates you. And their interpretation is that in the world as is, if you die, then that's your end of life on earth and now you get to go be with God. So to to die is to be liberated right, to escape your body. But in the world of this movie, there is no death, which means eternal separation from God, which in the 
like within evangelical, especially Christianity, separation from God is the worst um, of possible worlds. So it's almost like there's a spiritual component here on top of the, you know, whatever Scooter's uh, views on death are. But it's a it's vis- visually a miserable experience. He's got like um, a giant gash on his head. He spits out glass when he becomes conscious again. Yeah. Not necessarily conscious, but back into um, not being disorientated from fucking falling three stories. And we see Susan staring into the mirror, but she can't cry because when you're dead, you can't cry. And so she takes drops of water and puts them in her eye. And that's our closing scene, which I thought was a really powerful closing scene. Oh, we also hear the boyfriend at the front door saying, hey, let me in. I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is kind of just a throwback to, um, you know, that radio statement earlier where the dead go where they think they belong. Yeah. Jason's at home with his girlfriend. Well, I'd imagine shit's probably going to be pretty awkward after that. All right. So before we get to our reviews and stuff, I want to read you something. As I was doing research on this movie, I found this article on the site Dread Central. And this guy is looking at the film from a queer perspective. He says he titles it Shattered Dead, Progress, Regression, and the Downfall of Heteronormativity. Says Shattered Dead starts with the breaking of two separate ideas, death and heteronormativity. The film is strange. The protagonist is unlikable, and the world seems to be distant and disaffected. In my reading, Susan is someone who cannot stand change and will do anything to ruin it for everyone else. She attempts to keep the heteronormative order by branding zombies as the enemy and clinging desperately to the past. This is also included with the gun fetish, which is a condemnation of gun fetishization from more conservative parts of the country. She doesn't have much of a reason to do a lot of the things she does. She simply does them as an act of regression in a world that she no longer understands. In a sense, she is deeply traditionalist, a.k.a. homophobic, character that attempts to get the world back to one that she can recognize as normal. This is played into when she has her boyfriend use a gun for sex. The gun is the replacement phallus, but it is also normal and reassuring to her. He derives no pleasure from this, having already crossed into undeath, but she wants to feel that the world is the same as it always was. The fact that the phallus is a lethal object also implies a self-destructive tendency that comes with social regression. It is the death of progress and of destructive force that aids in regressing society. Other characters play into this as well. The preacher man leads a flock of zombie parishioners. However, he hides the fact that he's alive. Mary stays amongst the living, but is actually dead. They wear masks for the outside world so they can be what they think other people want them to be. The preacher uses his subterfuge for power, while Mary wants eternal beauty without sacrificing her connection to the living. 
It takes the paranoia of a film like The Thing and applies it to social change instead of one that presents a clear sense of bodily danger. Instead, it is a perceived cultural danger that characters like The Preacher or Susan fear. So 1994. I have a feeling that although you can certainly overlay some sort of like message about like the death of heteronormativity in this script. I, I don't think that that was the director's intent at all. I, I think it's more broad than that, probably touching more on just like the nature of like the nature of just existing as a whole and what we consider living to be rather than just a death of some sort of social norm. I don't know. May, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm unprepared for this discussion, but I would say that it's probably looking a little bit too much into it for like a specific niche. But that, that said, I think it's great that he can see that sort of thing in, any, in that script. Um, obviously, I don't think that this movie is going to have like one single meaning for, you know, that's, that's like a general truth for everybody. If that is what his takeaway for the film is, I, I, you know, respect that he has that opinion. I just have the feeling that the director probably didn't mean to specifically attack that, that notion. Yeah, I couldn't find out much about Scooter McRae, um, but I was curious about him for that reason. But I tend to agree with you. But I do like when things in the film have this sort of symbolic power even if the director didn't intend for there to be this direct connection um the the symbols themselves have that baggage so to speak like this is what alejandro yudorowsky does better than anybody it's like i have no idea what the fuck he's saying with his movie but every symbol in the movie is so powerful that you can read all kinds of meanings in, and that's how i feel a lot of this movie is so I think this is a good place to give final thoughts and a rating out of four. We've seen a lot of shot on video films at this point. I think this one stands out as its own separate beast. I've, I've been watching a fair amount of shot on video stuff outside of this podcast since Lucas introduced me to it. And those have generally had more sci-fi horror themes to it, but nothing quite like this. And this isn't just some run-of-the-mill, like, art house zombie film. This is, this is something deeper. And like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I don't think... I struggle to really call this a zombie film. I don't know what I would call it. End of, uh, like, existential dread. This is like a sci-fi horror existential dread. Actually, sci-fi, is that really the... Post-apocalyptic the science. Yeah, there's a guy. The guy says science on the radio, so it's sci-fi. There we go. All right. Um, yeah, this might not necessarily be a good movie as a whole. There's some weak dialogue. Uh, if you start to overanalyze the world, you're going to be able to poke holes in it. It's not necessarily balanced, but none of that matters in the face of the imagery the setting and this dread that comes with what happens 
when death dies <laughs> essentially it's it's really cliche to say like you know death is a natural part of life you know people make that comparison all the time but um this is just an example of what can happen when you remove that part of the equation it's not just like a bunch of immortal people running around um it's more of a bunch of immortal people slowly decaying into puddles in urban landscapes that will soon be unmanicured and lacking maintenance and eventually crumbling over an undisclosed amount of time i think that this the, the film's low scale of the plot works out a lot in its favor much like um what we just watched kingdom of the vampire like you could very well see someone making a movie like this today but taking it to a much grander scale to seeing like how greater society would slowly crumble if you had like a bunch of people that would just never die and create like a third class citizenship that just could not be like ruled or manipulated in any way through like conventional means but like the movie kind of just supposes all of this stuff and and doesn't really have to elaborate on it because it, it doesn't need to you get a couple cool set pieces of how horrific it would be to actually exist in this sort of um in this sort of world and you're just sort of left to your own devices to um to kind of get whatever meaning you want out of it that said um there's a lot of weak dialogue in this film just fucking get over it the movie gets is a little hard to get into for like the first 15 minutes but i have that problem with every other found video or shot on video film so whatever the only thing I really kind of dislike is the pole sexuality with the firearms. I think that was kind of just ham-fisted in there. Again, though, maybe I'm just dense and it's not really for me. Like I, I'm not that audience to really understand the the deeper meaning of shoving a firearm in my vagina. I don't know. I'm I'm lost on that one. This certainly affected me like a four-star film because I'm going to be thinking about it for a while, but there's, there's, there's just some things that are lacking. I think at the very least, you, you can easily settle on this being like, God, I don't know, three stars probably. Like, I don't think it's perfect, but it's certainly something that will give you a lot to think about if you know, you're not used to thinking about what would happen if nobody could die and you're stuck in your living coffin forever. I find this movie really effective. You do have that sort of suspension of disbelief with the shot on video aesthetic. Like the acting is a certain style, although I think it's very good. You know, the the visual is a certain style, even though, again, I think it's well done and artistic. Like you're just going to have to get used to the medium. But if you can get past that, I don't know why everyone is down on this movie. Like the reviews online are shit. And I think it is so thoughtful and interesting. I don't find it boring as some people seem to. Um, I think that it's compelling enough to go along with the ideas and the character. Um, I don't know if Scooter McRae had some grand spiritual message in mind or was saying something about sexuality or violence or what. But what I think is that the different scenes and situations and parts in this movie are meaningful enough and interesting enough and pose enough interesting questions that it creates a really meaningful experience. And on top of that, 
I just find it really frightening and horrifying an idea. This is probably, I mean, in terms of just its idea, probably one of the scarier films I can think of um, because it's undermining the whole nature of reality and doing so in a direction that lets like each person eternally suffer in a very like masochistic, you know, physically repulsive way. It, it's horrifying to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give this four stars. It, I talk talking about it only increased my respect for it. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe when we talk about it, we're less likely to go over the parts that aren't that great, but regardless I am just as stumped as you are. I was looking at like browsing reviews while we were recording this. And yeah, this film is slammed, like slammed really hard. How, this is a crime. This probably has a lower rating than Frozen Scream. I think, I mean, my theory is that no one had ever heard of this film until very recently because it barely got a VHS release. And then the whole shot on video phenomenon took off and people became really interested in tracking down shot on video films. And so this quickly became like on people's want list. But then once they saw it, it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't like a goofy action packed, um, you know, absurd over the top film. Like a lot of them are, it's not creep, you know, it's, it's an art film, so I can see why they might be disappointed. Imagine going into this film expecting grievous bodily harm with zombies and then <laughs> getting this. <laughs> it, do you think this movie is, was ahead of its time? Yes. Yeah, uh, that, that was my first thought like when the credits were rolling and I was introduced to the fact that you know, Mary's actress's name is Flora Fauna. <laughs> I was like, man, you know, this movie's ahead of its, it seems like a little bit advanced, like a little ahead of its time. At the same time, the look of the, the movie and the behavior of the characters is very 90s. Oh, yeah, very 90s. I mean, she literally, Susan literally uses a coin phone in like the first like six minutes of the film. Yeah. So if um, children are going to be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> If you're after your 90s nostalgia, then here you go. This is a good one. <laughs> All right. So suffice it to say, if you haven't seen this, I really think you should check it out. Keep an open mind and don't expect anything because you haven't seen anything quite like it. Don't expect anything because nothing matters. <laughs> and th that is an argument. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Let me shake up the Magic 8-Ball and see what we're watching next week. Can we get something that's filled with a little more hope, at least? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm waiting for it to settle. don't know if this is going to give you hope <laughs> oh but this is return to the schlocky 1970s we will be watching poor 
Pretty Eddie. It's available on YouTube, I think, to be. Uh, this is a pretty easy one to come across. It stars the soul musicians uh, Leslie Ogums, but it also, more importantly, stars Shelley Winters. And it's about time we do a movie with Shelley Winters on this show because she was one of the most important actresses in exploitation. This is an intriguing movie. It's, it's really sleazy, but I think it's in the best of ways. I mean, sleazy sounds more hopeful than what we just went through. Oh, it's even got a Slim Pickens ca- uh, cameo. So Nice. All right. Yeah. There you go. All right. So if you have not, check out Poor Pretty Eddie and uh, join us next week. Leland, do you have any last words? Hey, which intro do you guys like more? The uh, the classic or what we just been putting out? Let us know. Also, thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. We will talk with you next week about Poor Pretty Eddie. Ha 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 